hello, welcome, people, to episode forty-one of Misfits. This is this is where I speak to the rebels, the outliers, the unconventionals. Indeed, this has been a uh, crazy times, man. I hope you guys are healthy and having a peace of mind. So this week's episode, uh, I hope you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it's a good time or a bad time, but I'm just gonna drop this one. Uh, it's actually with Dr. Steven Snyder. So he is a New York sex and couples therapist for over 30 years, and with one go, one go only to help people have great sex. Yes, that's right. This episode is about sex. He is also author of Love Worth Making: How to Have Ridiculously great sex in a long-term relationship. Dr. Steven is also an Associate Clinical Director of Psychiatry at Incan School of Medicine. In this episode, we spoke about why you should be sexually selfish, how the idea of desire can mess up your sex life, and why our thinking brain is stopping us from having great sex and how to turn it off. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode, but more importantly, I hope you have way, way, way better and great sex after listening to this episode. All right, Dr. Steven Snyder. So we're going to dive into the deep end of the pool. You've been in therapy for, uh, well, you've been a therapist <laughs> for more than... I've been in therapy forever, um, but I've been a therapist for even longer. Yes. So one thing I learned from friends who become um, therapists, you know, or study psychology, are sort of like they're solving their own problem. Absolutely. That's why I became a sex therapist, actually. I'm not going to tell you all the secrets, but uh, most guys, at some point in their young lives, they experience some kind of a sexual problem. And it's different from guy to guy, but very few guys get through all their single years without experiencing some kind of a sexual problem. And what I noticed was that it was the worst experience of my life. Um, happened to me in medical school. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it was, but uh, you, could, you could use your imagination. And I almost had to, I almost had, I thought I was going to drop out of medical school. I couldn't concentrate. I was depressed. I was, I felt horrible. And I thought to myself, this is just bad stuff. What, why does this hurt so much? I decided that I was going to devote my life to helping men with this kind of problem because it was the worst thing I'd ever experienced. <laughs> Okay, so my hunch isn't isn't that wrong after all, hey? No, your hunch is absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. It's absolutely true. Um, most doctors do things that they can really identify with the pain of. So most neurologists have migraines. Uh, most orthopedists have had sports injuries. And most sex therapists, mm, they've had something that really bothered them. I just wanted to uh, put it out there saying that the book that you, you've written is absolutely f- uh, fantastic. I love you. Thank you. Yeah, more than just the uh, content, I think the writing is uh, done very light and easy. And I don't think that there's an extra you know, page of fluff over there. And it's just captivating. Wow, thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate it. I always say if people have as much fun reading it as I had writing it, we're going to have a good time. So yeah, it was a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of fun. Let's just dive into the deep end, which is, you know, let's talk about sex, but let's talk about sexual feelings, right? You know, what, what is the difference between the two of them and why is it important? Okay, so the story of sex in the 20th, 20th century started with Masters and Johnson, who was this uh, gynecologist and his assistant. 
in the United States in the 1950s and 60s, and they studied the sexually aroused body. So they actually had volunteers come in and just have sex in their laboratory, and they hooked them up with electrodes and monitored their heart rate, and they had special sensors to measure what was going on, and they revolutionized the field, and they, they demonstrated all sorts of things that people hadn't known about before, um, which I won't get into the details, but it was all the sexually aroused body. Um, and in a way, they were doing the same thing that most young couples do when they get together. They're observing each other's bodies. You know, they're observing his hardness, her wetness, and all the changes that go on. The problem is that those physical changes usually occur very easily and very quickly, but you can have all of those physical changes and still not be having very good sex. Here's the reason. The money really is in the psychology. It's in the emotional aspects of the feelings. And really what you're looking to do when you have really, really good sex is to get psychologically as excited as possible. So the first thing I talk in the book about in the book is we know what hardness looks like, we know what wetness look, feels, look, feels like, but what does psychological arousal feel like? And the first thing about psychological arousal is that it makes you stupid. Um, at the beginning of my book, it's a couple with their clothes on, they're standing on the New York subway near one of the exits, and they're kind of kissing and holding each other, and it's clear that they're both getting very stupid doing this because that's what good sexual arousal does. And it, makes, it looks like they're going to miss their stop. Um, good sexual arousal makes you miss your stops. Uh, people who are sexually aroused tend to arrive late to meetings if they arrive at all. That's one of the things that arousal does. It makes you not care about things. That's why most cultures make sure that the teenagers don't get involved in too much heavy sex because then they're not going to care about their schoolwork because they're going to rapidly realize that uh, this stuff is much more engrossing than schoolwork. And so uh, the phone rings and you don't care who's calling. You just want them to go away and not bother you. It's also kind of a selfish state of mind. You make really into your partner at that point, but you don't really want to hear about their day. You don't want to hear about the argument they had with their boss. You just want them to just tell you everything's wonderful and make nice noises and uh, everybody be happy. So it's a very kind of infantile, selfish, dumb and happy kind of state of mind. And if you measure how dumb and happy you're getting in a given moment, most people to get hard or wet on a scale of 100 they may need to get a 20 or a 20 or a 30, but you're not really fully aroused. You really want in a good sexual experience to get up to a 50 or a 60 or a 70, then you're really, really aroused. And that's really what makes for good sex. When people remember the greatest sex of their life, it's that they went beyond hard and wet. They went all the way to dumb and happy. And they just went on for a while and they were just kind of like, they didn't care about the phone ringing and they didn't know their name and they were just kind of, it just took them someplace very, very special. And that's the definition of really good sex. You look puzzled. Right. No, well, I think, uh, no, I'm not puzzled, but I, I think one of the questions that popped in my mind is, um, you know, we are, uh, as, uh, as humans, we are using our brains to make a living all the time, right? And now, when it comes to sex, it's so counterintuitive where you should turn off your brain. And so, like, do, you fi do people find it hard to do that? And, like, what do you tell them? You know, like, is it go get some drinks? You know, that always helps or, you know? No, no, it's just 
very important. All right, so so uh, the uh, this is very important because you're absolutely right. It's been said that the human mind has two kinds of activities that it does. The one is thinking and doing, which are active activities, and the other is awareness. You're not doing anything. You're just aware of what's going on around you. Sex is an activity that happens in the state of awareness. So ideally, you're not doing anything. When people remember the greatest sex of their life, they weren't thinking about what they were doing. They were just getting out of its way. It was like they were jumping in the river and the current was carrying them along and everything was just happening. And they were aware of their experience. They're aware of their partner. They're feeling turned on and they don't give a darn about anything. And they don't care what, whether the phone's ringing or what meetings they have to do. They're just totally oblivious. So you're absolutely right that most of us spend our time thinking and doing. But if you're thinking and doing when you're in a state of sex, uh, you're having sex with somebody, it's not going to be very good sex. And unfortunately, that's where everybody gets stuck. Where a lot of guys get stuck is they're 21st century men. And so they know that 21st century women expect a good sexual experience and they expect the guy to be a good lover. And they might even tell their friends, their friends, whether he was a good lover. So the guy thinks, oh, I got to make a good show here. And so they're thinking and doing, you know, um, unfortunately, it doesn't really work that way. You can't be thinking and doing. Uh, it's not passionate. Passionate is when you're not thinking at all. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever read a romance novel. What? Well, so what do you, how, how would you tell people who have problems trying to, trying to change to the awareness mind instead of the thinking yeah. mind, right? Um, would you think that like, of course, I think like meditation would definitely help in that sense. Because if you can yeah, arrive yeah. at the art of doing nothing, then you are uh, by default a great sexual partner. Yeah, but, but, but who has time? So what I suggest in my book is a technique uh, called the two-step, where step two is to have sex. Um, step one is just lie in bed together, and you just breathe, just hang out. And if you have thoughts, just let them be. Don't get too attached to them, as Buddha used to say. You know, just, just attachment is the source of all difficulty. And, uh, and you just get into kind of this state where you're just tuning into what's going on in your body, and then you turn to your partner. So step one is kind of a little bit of a meditation, but it doesn't have to. You don't have to sit cross-legged or eat vegan or anything. You know, it's just like, it's just like you know, whatever, for a few minutes. You just kind of let yourself just tune in. Um, that's why music helps, because it gets people into that kind of state of mind. Um, and uh, basically anything that allows you to enter into your body, dancing helps, yoga helps, anything can help like that that gets you into your body. Because most of us are not in our bodies, but sex, obviously, the obvious is done with the body. By default also, if you have bills to pay, you know, then you will probably be thinking about bills and hence sex wouldn't be good. So uh, you, need, you need your basic necessity needs, you know, you have a roof over your head, you know, your lower needs of muscle hierarchy to be, to be settled before you could actually have good sex. Absolutely. 200,000 years ago on the plains of Africa, when all our ancestors were roaming around um, looking for food, the situations under which people have sex, there's enough food, there's enough water, and there are no lions around. Right. So you don't have to worry about <laughs> yeah. anything. Hanging, I mean, you know, Paleolithic man, he had to work maybe two or three hours a day. And the rest of the time, he's just sitting around weaving baskets and having sex and telling folklore and stuff like that. You know, it's pretty easy. 
And for most of us, the only time we're allowed to live as we're naturally intended to live is when we're on vacation. That's why people like to be on vacation, because that's the only time they can really live like human beings. They just, you know, you just do your thing, you just hang out, and the rest of the time, uh, we're, we have to work too hard, because, uh, you know, we're going through a time of tremendous technological change, and during times of tremendous technological change, people work very, very hard. It's an unnatural human state of mind. So uh, it, it really requires, that's why I have this two-step, where you're just like, you know, kind of like, get on vacation for a couple of minutes, and then you get started, that's better. So, so I'm trying to think of a way to, to, to frame the, uh, the word sex and actually what uh, in your book is kind of like the way you think about it actually makes how you feel about sex totally um, different, right? And so totally I think when people, yeah, when people talk about sex, we're lumping a lot of things together, right? And you really put out there, you know, there's the feelings part that no one has even been aware of before I even read the book. And then you have the uh, number of times you do it a week, you know, number of times you do it a night, you know, number of partners, number of orgasm. And so... How long did you last? Yeah, right. So what are the aspects of sex that people put too much emphasis on? And, you know, and people should put more emphasis on, you know, and vice versa, right? Yeah, yeah. I would say people put too much emphasis, definitely put too much emphasis on orgasms. Because, you know, if you think about most popular writing on sex, it's all about orgasms. I always joke that we sex therapists are the only people in the world who don't care about orgasms. Because to a sex therapist, whether you have an orgasm or not doesn't really determine whether you remember it as the greatest sex of your life. People remember the greatest sex of their life. They're not remembering the orgasm because who can remember an orgasm? It doesn't last very long. Usually they're remembering that they were really dumb and happy. It really took them someplace really special. They really forgot themselves. They were totally in their body. They were in a state of awareness rather than thinking. Um, so to a sex therapist, a uh, sex is a little bit like a meal. You get your appetizers. And uh, if all goes well, you don't think that they're appetizers. You're just enjoying them. That's foreplay. Then you've got your entree your main course, that's usually intercourse for most couples. And if all goes well, start intercourse, you go, oh, this is good. We get to have intercourse too? Fabulous. And then you're enjoying your meal and you're almost full and then the dessert tray arrives and you go, oh, we get to have dessert too? I forgot all about it. I love this place. That's what it should be like. And so orgasm should be like dessert at the end of a good meal. You know, you get dessert, coffee, the check, and then you get to get your coat. But uh, most people... They just kind of rush through to dessert, and then they're still hungry. And most guys are so obsessed with making sure that their partner got dessert. Um, did you get dessert? Did you get dessert? Was it a good dessert? You know, and, and I had women come into my office. They go, I hate it when he asked me that. Did I get dessert? You know, Because um, it's okay. It's, you don't have to worry about it. I just want to, like, enjoy the meal. But the guy is just, okay, how can I get her dessert? And he's so emphatic. And he's trying to do it. He's trying to try and try and try and his arms getting tired or his, his body's getting tired. And she thinks, oh, he's getting exhausted. He must be bored. This isn't going to work. You know, and the whole thing goes to hell. That's not really what you're supposed to be doing. Well, how did this, how did this orgasm, guy orgasm thing come about? I mean, because, because women's orgasms tend to be a little finicky. I mean, you know, a guy, uh, uh, you know, a woman goes to bed with a guy. She knows how that guy can have an orgasm pretty much. She knows that either from intercourse or from blowing him, he's going to have an orgasm. Um, most guys, um, 
there are a few exceptions, but most guys. As a matter of fact, 95% of guys on college campuses are worried about having orgasms too quickly. So men tend not to have too much problem having orgasms. But women's orgasms, a guy has no idea when he goes to bed with a woman how she's going to have an orgasm because they're two basic flavors. Some women are kind of outer, outer, outer genital orgasms, you know, either by going down on them or stroking their clitoris, fingering them. That's outer genital orgasms. And then other women are inner general orgasms, you know, through, through intercourse. And you don't really know. It's some you need a combination and some need a particular kind of rhythm and certain kind of positions. And there's a whole technology to it. Uh, to get all of everything going in the right direction. So um, as a guy, you have absolutely no idea in the world. So the way to do it, here's, here's the way to do it. Don't worry about her orgasm at first, because she knows that in a first sexual experience, it's very unlikely she's going to have an orgasm. Every woman knows this. Um, if she wants to have an orgasm, she can make sure she has an orgasm. She could tell you. If you want to be a gentleman, you can say, What's your best way to have an orgasm? And she'll tell you. She'll say, oh, if you go down on me. Or just do this, I'll show you how to do this. Or let me reach in the drawer and get my vibrator. Or just like do it really hard just for like a half an hour. And the guy goes, I, I can't do that, I'm gonna come. Um, <laughs> and so it's a thing, you know, so you gotta kind of work that out. Um, so uh, it's, it's just a matter of asking her. You just say, yeah, you don't make a big thing out of it. You just casual, casually you go, hmm, What's your best way to have an orgasm? What's your favorite way to have an orgasm? Do you want to have an orgasm? And she could tell you. But a lot of guys, they just go in blind. They just start stroking and fussing and so forth and hope that she's going to have an orgasm. And she goes, oh, man, how do I tell him that this isn't going to work? And the whole thing is ridiculous. So that's the way to do it. Just ask her. And, and actually, I, I, think, I, think there, I think there is a sort of dichotomy between, you know, like, guys... Um, might finish too early but what you suggest yeah. is that you don't need to actually give her an orgasm through intercourse um, you can do it like other ways right with the vibrator and, and so on and so forth and oh yeah the the kicker is knows, that the girls yeah exactly got it yeah she wants to have dessert and she might say no it's okay it's okay it takes a long time i don't feel like doing that tonight um i don't need dessert tonight i'm good yeah which is fine yeah she could tell you that. Yeah, and also, and also by 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 the you, you're talking a lot about about the journey, right? You know, how are you dumb and stupid in the journey, and how uh, long the, the 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 journey is. Um, and I think a lot of a big part of it might also be becoming to foreplay and to flirting, right? And actually, oh, you know, absolutely. putting more emphasis in that than you know the orgasm. What you're trying to say too is that yeah, because because most women, especially in the first couple of times they go to bed with somebody, they're not expecting great sex because they know the guy doesn't really know them yet, doesn't know what they really need, what they want. Um, the one thing they are expecting, which they really, really need the first couple of times is they need to know that the man really, really wants them, that the man really, really desires them. Why not we do a segue into um, the uh, Rats test, um, and you know we talk about what Absolutely. men. We could talk about. Yes, we could. We could. We'll, we could talk about rats. Rat sex in just a minute. So rat sex is very, very important. We'll talk about it now if you want. Um, so you read the book, so you know how rats have sex. And the most interesting thing about rat sex is the foreplay, 
because rat intercourse takes like three seconds. Um, but rat foreplay takes a long time. The female rat goes in front of the male rat and she wiggles her rear end so he can see it. And then she runs away from him. And if she's lucky, he chases her. The female rats love this. They just can't get enough of it. And they run as fast as they can. And the male rat has to chase and chase and chase and chase and chase and chase. And the female rats, just it's heaven. It's their favorite part of the whole thing. Uh, and then if the male rat has chased them well enough, and they, he really wants them, then she lets him catch her. And they have three seconds of sex. And that's, that's the way rats have sex. With human women, it's pretty much the same thing. They really, really like, I mean, obviously they hope it goes on for more than three seconds, but they really like the thrill of the chase. And they really like the fact that the male rat is really, really motivated. This is a big turn on for most women. There's something that we sex therapists call ODSC, which is object of desire self-consciousness. And so the degree to which a woman motive, moment by moment feels that she's desirable. And most women get very, very happy when they feel very, very desirable. And the way they know they're desirable is they can feel the man really wants them. So they really want to know that a man has passion for them. And they can feel it in the things that he says to them. He can feel, they can feel it in the way he holds them and the kind of attention he pays to them. And they can also feel it in how dumb and happy he is. Um, and it's very important with a woman the first couple of dates to really tell them. You could just say it out loud. Say, I want you to know that I am strongly attracted to you. And she goes, oh, you are? Um, he goes, yeah, yeah, very, very strongly attracted to you. You're driving me absolutely crazy right now. She goes, oh, I am? So her ODSC, her sense of herself as being an object of desire, goes way, way up. And for most women, that's a very, very pleasurable state of mind. So uh, if you're letting your female partner know that you really do strongly desire them, um, then that's half of what you need. Um, for most women, that's, that's a big part of what they get. And I, I talk to women uh, in their 20s and 30s who remember when they were teenagers and they say, you know, I don't know, I wasn't really practiced with sex. I didn't know much about my body that way. And so I don't think I really enjoyed sex much at all, but I really liked being desired. I really liked the fact that, that I had that attention and that the man really wanted me. So that's very A footnote to that, because we definitely want to come back to it, because then, you know, um, the um, the ODSC will sort of go down as men get into committed relationship and then we don't do that much of a chasing. So, oh my God, yeah, it's a terrible problem. Terrible problem. The man, you know, we men, you know, we men, we don't really need that much. We don't really want that much. We just uh, like to have a good meal and somebody tell us something nice and congratulate us and say we've done a good job and then maybe some sex some of the time and then just go watch TV and we're just happy. Um, but most women need a lot more attention than that. They need a lot of attention and you see it in the way they give each other a lot of attention. They talk to each other for hours and hours and hours. Women talking to their friends, they want to talk about every little thing. And so they find that very pleasurable. And most women get very, very frustrated with the fact that men are so easily satisfied. Most men, after they have an orgasm, they're done. They're satisfied. They don't really need much else. 
They're done. Um, and this is very frustrating for the average woman. So um, it's important that the man uh, allow himself to enjoy his feeling of desire for her, even if he, even after he has her. So she's sitting and watching TV, and he says to her, you know, I hope you remember that I find you extremely sexy. Could I just selfishly enjoy your body for a couple of minutes while you're watching TV? Um, and then he can show her some passion and kiss her neck and her shoulders and maybe her breasts. And uh, if she gets excited and wants to have sex, that's great. If not, she at least had the information from him, both in word and in deed, that she was exciting to him and she can experience that. And sometimes just a few minutes is all it takes. Just a few minutes of direct attention. It doesn't have to be hours and hours. A lot of women will tell you that just a good look or a good hold or a good grab, you're good. Interesting. So would you think that it is almost worthwhile to uh, uh, overcompensate for that because just men just tend to have a, a lot lesser of that you know, that, that, that desire to express their, their affection that way. Here's the thing. You're a guy, so you don't have a lot of patience for just spending hours and hours talking about every, every little thing. So very, very focused, very focused. Three minutes, three minutes. Give her three minutes of your complete attention and appreciate her body, hold her, inhale the scent of her hair, Breathe with her, kiss her, tell her everything that turns you on about her, and you're doing it. You filled up her tank. Now she's good. Are we talking about it every every day or every week or? What I always say in sex therapy, we call this simmering. You're simmering your partner. Okay, you're not bringing her to a boil. You're just simmering her. And I always say, any situation you would ordinarily kiss your partner, simmer them instead. So kissing the person goodbye when you leave to go to work, don't do No, that's a waste. Simmer them goodbye. It takes two minutes. It's fine. Kissing them goodnight? No, no, no. Simmer them goodnight. Um, yeah, well, that's a very practical way of doing it. Yeah, I, I could uh, I could see. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good, that's good advice, really. Okay. Focused attention. You make it count. You make it can you don't waste the moment. You want there to be some some electric current passing between you because a woman needs to know that you desire her. Women need that like oxygen. We we talk about you know like what um, the female psyche uh, would like to have, right? And so right. and many of this uh, female don't know actually what uh, you 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 spoke of, and hence should buy the book. But I'm saying that if they know of it, and you know, would should they let their partner know um, that? this is something that they want and how did that conversation um, be brought up? So it says that a guy hasn't read the book and he doesn't know that women really, really need to feel desired all the time. Um, so should the women tell him? Uh, no, I don't think it would go over very well um, because uh, the guy would feel that she's trying to tell him what to do. Um, and the other danger is that... Uh, the guy would feel like she wasn't satisfied. See, guys are very sensitive to women being disappointed in them. No man wants to disappoint. That's why men ghost women when they go on, uh, you know, uh, um, 
Tinder or Hinge or Bumble or anything like that. They ghost them. Woman, man seeing a woman, he doesn't want to see her anymore. He ghosts her because he can't stand the thought of telling her that he doesn't want to see her anymore. So he just goes away. It drives women crazy. They would far prefer for the man to say, you know what? I'm glad we met. I don't think we're meant to be a couple. I don't think we're going to make it as a couple. I'm really sorry. She goes, oh, thank you. You actually talked to me and told me. But most guys don't do that because they never want to see a woman disappointed. For most men, it's their worst fear that a woman's going to be disappointed. It's very stressful for men. And the reason is that most men don't have a lot of experience in intimate relationships that way. Most women have been in intimate relationships since they were ch children with their girlfriends and their best friends, and they've had ups and downs, and they fight, and they make up, and they know that there are ups and downs, and you can feel disappointed, and then you repair the relationship, and it's okay. Most guys' relationships don't aren't like that. They get together, they're going to do something. Let's talk about it. Like, you know, they don't, they don't get that involved. So for most guys, the first intimate relationship he has um, is when he gets his first female partner, and he doesn't know that it's okay that she could be disappointed sometimes. What a guy really wants, because guys are kind of primitive, what a guy really wants is what's depicted in the old days in the Playboy magazine centerfold. Do you think most of your audiences have ever seen a Playboy magazine centerfold? It's, it's, it's kind of- I, I haven't seen one myself, I'll tell you that. Oh, so here's what it used to be. Playboy magazine was the first magazine that had naked women in it. It was in the 1950s. And it was a big thing. Because, you know, it was a conservative time. And the highlight was right in the middle of the magazine was this thing. You would open it out, and it was three magazine pages. It was a complete image. And it was, it was pretty impressive. And it had several parts to it. One was this woman with this rockin' hot body, usually semi-undressed. And the other was, you know, she was all made up with the hair and the teeth, and she looked fabulous. And the best part of it, though, the cherry on the top of the ice cream sundae, was she had this big smile from ear to ear. It was this big welcoming smile, and it said, oh, it's you. Oh, I'm so happy to see you. Come on in. So it was that look of, of, of pleasure and welcome, and that's what every guy wants when he's with a woman. He wants her to be just so happy with him and so happy to see him and so happy that everything is making him happy. Um, and so, so that's what guys want and they need. And they usually get that at the beginning of a relationship because she's happy that he likes her and he's happy that she likes him and everybody's happy and she's smiling and everything goes well. The trouble happens the first time he sees her disappointed, especially if he was the cause of her disappointment. If there was something that he wanted, she wanted from him, she wanted him to remember something or to do something and he didn't. Uh-oh, now he's got a problem. Because now she's not giving him that smile. So he goes, uh-oh, I don't have the green light anymore. What am I going to do? And he doesn't know that it's okay. A woman can be disappointed. She can take it. She can handle it. He doesn't know that. For him, it's an emergency. He's in terrible trouble. He's in terrible trouble. <laughs> the last woman he ever saw disappointed, you know who that was? Was his mother, his mother when he was three years old. A bad thing. You never want to see that. Um, so... And he ran away from her when he was three years old. He said, I don't want to be, I just be a man. I'll just be with the boys. Um, and he still feels like a dangerous situation for him. So he goes, uh-oh, I don't like this. I'm getting out of here. And she goes, where are you going? He goes, I don't like it. This doesn't feel good. She goes, 
quit, you're abandoning me, which is every woman's worst fear. You know, so now in addition to being disappointed, now she feels abandoned. Now she's really not smiling. Now she's calling him up and saying, I don't know, and he goes, oh, I knew this was dangerous. I knew this was dangerous. This is terrible. And a lot of relationships just go to pieces at that point. What you really need is for the woman to give the man a speech and say, you know what? I just want you to know I'm feeling disappointed right now, but it's okay. It's really okay. We're going to be all right. Here, just be with me. I could be disappointed. It's all right. And, but men, men don't know that. <laughs> well, I, 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 I think it's that communication piece, right? What you're saying. It's emotional communication because the guy doesn't really understand. He doesn't really understand that she's disappointed and it's okay. It's hard for him to understand that, but he really needs to understand that. And he needs to just stay with her until she's feeling a little bit happier again. And he's going to realize it's okay. Yeah. Because men get very threatened when they see a woman unhappy. Got it. And I think the language, languaging could be, could be said like what you did, right? Hey, I'm unhappy, but you know, it's, it's not, it's going to pass. You know, I, I just need you to stay with me and, you know, be close to me. And let, let's do this together. And exactly, exactly. And I want you to see that I'm going to be okay. It's okay. It's like it's raining, but the sun will come out again. It's going to be okay. Got it, got it, got it. Um, yeah, so I think that's uh, probably also a good way to e- even like initiate that conversation um, um, of, you know, like, hey, this is what I, I'm not feeling. And, you know, here's... Um, uh, what my girlfriend usually do with me and maybe we could try that out if you are open. Yeah, that'd be a great way to say it. Great way to say it. Say, you're a guy. I know you're a guy and I know you don't have a lot of experience with this kind of thing. So let me show you how to do this. Um, so that, that works very well. But, but unless the guy really knows that, if it were, just to bring it back to what we were talking about, if a woman says, you know, here's what I really need and so forth, most guys will go, oh, you're telling me that I'm not doing it right? Um, so they really have to be prepared that it's okay. They don't have to know everything. You, you, can, you, can, you can get it together. Now, the real danger, of course, is that he's going to see her unhappy and it's going to make him, him unhappy and it's going to make his body unhappy. You know what I'm talking about, right? And when a man's body gets unhappy, he loses hardness, which is the worst, worst fear of every guy that he's going to lose hardness. Um, and the reason that happens is because the uh, man's uh, body is the most honest part of him. And if it's happy, it'll be hard. If it's not happy, it's not going to be hard. And most guys don't know that. They go, hey, how come it's not hard? Easy, because it wasn't happy. Something happened that made it unhappy. They're worried about something. And so all you have to do is say, huh, must be, you know, it's like it's, it's got a vocabulary is limited to yes or no. It's up or down, yes or no. And if it's no, most guys say, wait a minute, how could it be no? Let me just do this and do this and let's make it to yes. No, there's no wrong way to do it. If it's no, you go, hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? Something made you unhappy? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I felt she wasn't happy with me. Oh, I understand. Um, and you just got to talk to it and say, oh, okay, well, you know, just let us know when you're happy again. Just take it out of action until um, it's feeling happy again. So don't make a big thing out of it. Yeah, well, I think the unfortunate part is uh, most guys wouldn't know about about this, right? If they would have not, you know, read a book or blah, blah, blah. They're not tuned into the fact that this is an emotional experience. 
because, you know, guys aren't supposed to be emotional. Guys are supposed to be just do, you know, um, and that's fine if you're a soldier just running into battle because, you know, your legs listen to commands and you tell them to run into battle and they go, I don't really want to do this, but okay, you know. Um, unfortunately, the muscles in your sexual body uh, don't listen to commands. Uh, they, they relax and that makes a guy big or they contract and that makes a guy small. Um, it's a little bit like the muscles in your eye, you know, lights on, lights off. They expand, lights on, they lights off, lights in, lights off, lights off, lights in. And, and, and they just respond to conditions. For the eye, it's light, dark. For the penis, it's happy, not happy. Happy, not happy. And you just got to know it's an automatic thing. So you just got to... You could, you could say that it's kind of like the heart, right? Where it is, you know, you can't control the heart. You can't control it. It's the, the muscles in the penis are the muscles of the internal body. So the heart only responds to one thing, filling. Fill it up, it'll contract. Fill it up, it'll pump. Fill it up, it'll pump. The eye, light, 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 light. Penis, happy, unhappy, happy, unhappy. And it's just, it's, it's very typical of the muscles inside the body. Um, and but it, what it means is you can't command it, as every guy knows. All you have to do is just see about uh, uh, creating the right conditions. Yeah, and so I think this is a good um, um, lead into uh, Viagra because. Most guys, when they hit into that, that the problem when you're saying, they wouldn't know it's a happy, unhappy thing. And they would just turn to medication as like the thing to do. And so it's like, tell me about how Viagra works and you know, when should it be used and when should it not be used? And then maybe you can move on a little bit to female Viagra too, Addie. Oh, fabulous. Okay, so um, Viagra has uh, been around since 1998, so 22 years now. Um, just about exactly 22 years ago, and it was a revolution because men have dreamed about this since the caveman days, something that could make you uh, happy um, even when you were not feeling happy. So obviously older guys, it kind of gives the hardware a boost, but a younger guy, usually his hardware is fine. So if he's by himself or waking up in the morning sometimes, he'd be hard. But with a partner, sometimes if he's unhappy, if he's worried, if he's tense, if he's feeling troubled by anything, or if he's worried about being hard, that'll make him not hard because penis doesn't like to worry. You know, it's essentially just like a very small child. It just likes to eat ice cream and have everybody go, yay, um, and just be happy. So the, uh, uh, the signal, the happy signal from the brain goes by a certain pathway and what Viagra does is it amplifies the happy signal. Usually a guy doesn't need that because it's already happy, it just makes him hard. However, here's the problem. There's also an unhappy signal from the brain. And sometimes there'll be an unhappy signal from the brain that has to be balanced by the happy signal. And if you're not getting enough of it, the Viagra balances it. It amplifies the happy signal. And if you think of it as scales, you know, you're either tilting on the unhappy side or the happy side, the Viagra essentially just puts a weight on the happy side. So it can enable you to really have it go in the right direction, which is a good thing because nothing makes a man happy like being hard. So if you make it hard, that'll make him happy and that'll make him really happy. And nothing makes a man unhappy like not being hard. So if it's unhappy, he's going to make it 100 because then always really be unhard. So it, it's a good thing. I say it for guys, it's like training wheels. If you're in a situation where you're worried, it's okay. You know, obviously it has to be under a doctor's advice and supervision and be done medically, but it's okay. 
Um, it could just help training wheels, just to help you keep your balance. And then once you feel, okay, I'm good, I'm happy, then you can uh, take off the training wheels and you won't need it. So guys who tend to get nervous, it's often a very, very useful thing. Um, Interesting, but they're also not solving the right problem. Well, think about it. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes situations will be ideal. Circumstances will be ideal. Couples very happy with each other, very relaxed together. They've got all the time in the world. Everything's nice. They're not worried about anything. Penis is happy. It's hard. Everything goes well. Now, let's make it a little more difficult. How about a long-distance relationship? You have only two days together. Better go well. You don't want anything to go wrong. That's the, unhappy, the unhappy juices start to flow, okay? You're under pressure. Penises don't like to be under pressure. Um, so might not be a terrible idea Friday night to take a little Viagra. Um, so just to make sure you're happy is going to win, and then you don't need it the rest of the weekend because it went well. Any situation where a guy's going to be under pressure, the other classic situation where a guy feels under pressure, first time with a new partner. You know? Eh, not a terrible idea. Um, another classic situation, trying to have a baby. That's pressure. Better work tonight because this is the night. We've got to do it. Eh, sometimes if you want to help the happy signal a little bit. Is there any downsides to Viagra? Yeah, the downside, uh, first of all, there are some medical risks. They're very rare. But uh, there are some medical, it's got to be done under medical supervision. Um, but the p main downside is that a man starts to feel naked without it. He thinks, uh oh, oh, where's my Viagra? I, I can't do anything without my Viagra. It's my like, security blanket. So you can start to feel naked without the Viagra. And that's not a good thing. So I tell guys, look, if you feel you need it, just so you don't have to worry so much, it's okay. If you, if you don't go see a doctor or, you know, Work it out. If you need it, just as training wheels. But take it off as soon as you can. Because otherwise, you can start to get kind of used to it. It's, it's, it's not it doesn't produce physical dependence, but it does produce psychological dependence. What is, it's kind of interesting because if what you say is true, actually, if Viagra is, is a placebo, it would actually still work. It would still work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so, but we know that it's more than a placebo. We know it really does work. Can we talk a little bit about female Viagra? Because that's not usually what I talk about. Eddie and Sprouts Pharmaceutical and Cindy is a new thing. Too. Do, you, do you think? Do you think? Many, do you think many people in your audience know about the female Viagra? About Addy? Well, I think that's an interesting thing because people should, should know. You know, just just like a, on top if they need it, like when do they need it, and if they if yeah yeah. Um, it's not equivalent because Viagra is a body drug. It acts on the sexual body. Uh, the female Viagra, so they call it, it's called Addy or Phlebanserin, is um, a mind drug. It's a, it works on neurochemistry of the brain. So it's completely different. But it kind of makes sense because with men, their biggest problem is usually their erections. So their biggest problem is with their body. With women, their biggest problem is usually with their mind. The most common female problems that bring a woman to sex therapy are either loss of desire or difficulty getting an orgasm. And these days with vibrators and everything, it's usually loss of desire. So this quote, female Viagra or Addy or Phlebanserum was formulated because somebody noticed that it made 
about half of the women who tried it experienced a greater desire. But it's very different than, the, than Viagra because it has to be taken every day. It's not like you could just take it for a date. Yeah, a woman has to take it for a couple of months before she can notice an effect usually. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the reasons that it hasn't really taken off. Um, it was refused by the uh, United States uh, Drug Administration uh, over and over. Yeah, the FDA. And then finally in 2015, um, it barely squeaked by and it got approved. And um, it, uh, interestingly enough, has not really taken off. Um, and I think part of it is that people don't really trust it yet. You know, when the FDA was considering it, it said, I haven't been able to confirm this, but it said that people on the committee were worried that maybe it would be like, God forbid, a date rape drug or something, you know, because, because you know, if it makes women have desire, would it, would it like, you know, make them vulnerable to being coerced or to be taken advantage of? Because, you know, a woman's ability to say no is fundamental because women are really the gatekeepers of sex. You know, it's been said most it's, it's a little bit of a simplification. It's been said that most women need a reason to have sex. A man just needs a place. You know, men tend to say men tend to say yes to sex, at least until they get married. Um, and uh, women tend to say, I don't know, maybe it depends. Um, so people were very worried that this medicine would take away a woman's independent right to say no. Um, so um, it's not a date rape drug. It won't make somebody horny for you or eager to go to bed with you. Um, a woman has to take it for a month or two before they can really see any effects. And it only works in about half of the women who take it. But half the women who take it, women who perhaps have lost desire, maybe after having a couple of kids, maybe for some other reason, um, do find that it can really bring the ability to be aroused back. So it's not a miracle cure. It's not like Viagra, which is a miracle cure. That's not a miracle cure, um, but for certain women, uh, certain women find it helpful. But uh, not many women have been interested in it, interestingly enough. I'm not sure exactly why. I think people just still don't trust it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it takes time, this kind of things, And oh, I, it yeah. only works for half the population with, uh, you know, a month-long um, trial period. Exactly. Too. Exactly. So it's, it's going to be a slow curve. For, for me, as a, as a Doctor, I'm a I'm a strange combination. I'm a doctor and a sex therapist. Most sex therapists are not doctors. Um, so as a doctor and a sex therapist, I'm very intrigued by these medicines because you never know where they're going to end up. For instance, Viagra was invented to help God. Well, it wasn't. It was invented actually for blood pressure, um, and it didn't it, it didn't work as a blood pressure medicine. But the guys would not give the medicine back after the after the experiment. And they said, hey, how come you won't, you won't give it back? They said, oh, you know what? I want, I want this stuff. And they, you know, they realized, hey, we're going to make billions of dollars here. Um, but since it came out, it's been discovered that it's been useful for all sorts of things. It's useful for certain forms of lung disease. It's useful for uh, high-altitude sickness. Uh, it's useful for all sorts of stuff. Um, so when a medicine comes out, you don't really know ultimately what it's going to be most useful for. So it was FDA approved for female desire problems. Um, it's been said that certain men who lose desire might respond. I have a colleague on the West Coast of the United States who just prescribed it to some men for low desire. So you never know over the years what something is going to turn out to be useful for. So, um, so we shall see. Yeah. Hey, so um, we are running out of time. I want to be respectful of your time over here. 
Yeah, yeah. I got to stop in a little bit, but I, I got a couple more questions. Okay. So I think uh, I do want to discuss a little bit on the sex and, um, and self-regards part, right? Um, um, it got me thinking as a normal functioning human being, uh, is it okay for someone to uh, not have um, desire for sex or, you know, sexual feeling or is, is a sexual feeling like a want or, or, or a need, you know, in a, as a human being and as a functioning uh, relationship? Okay. So this is really, really important. The basic principle is that we're not machines. We're uh, organisms that respond to their environment. Um, sex is not something like hunger or thirst, where if you ignore it, it just gets more intense. Um, if you ignore horniness, it doesn't get more intense. Sometimes it goes away. Um, so it's been said that the sexual instinct is an instinct you don't need it to survive it's very helpful to thrive it can be very useful um it can be useful it can also be destructive but it can be useful and so most people if they're feeling desire it's like we said about hardness if they're feeling desire it usually means the conditions their conditions where they are are conducive to feeling desire they're feeling happy they're feeling safe they're feeling comfortable with their partner, attracted to their partner. Um, the emotions are all in the right place. It's a happy state of mind. Um, if they're not feeling those things, if they're feeling criticized, if they're feeling disappointed, if they're feeling guilty, if they're not seeing a future in a relationship, if they're feeling tired or stressed, most people don't feel that sexual and that's normal. So it's a system that just responds to what's going on in your environment. Um, back a hundred years ago, people used to think that sex drive was like a steam engine. You know, the steam would build up and it would have to be released. Now that's true if you're a 14 year old boy, you know, if you don't masturbate twice a day, you think you're going to die. But for most people who are not 14 year old boys, it's not really like that. Um, you know, you take most guys, you put them on a ranch. They're not going to think about sex very much. You know, they're just doing their thing every once in a while, maybe. But, uh, most of us in the modern world, we're hyper stimulated all the time because, we live in such a visually competitive environment and everybody who's trying to get our attention knows that sex is a good way to get our attention. So all shows have to have sex or violence in them because those are good ways of getting, getting people's attention. And you pass a newsstand and they're basically selling sex. And so, uh, and people dress more and more provocatively to get attention. And so we're artificially stimulated in ways that our ancestors 100,000 years ago were never stimulated. We live very, very artificial lives that way in terms of the, the intensity of sexual stimulation. That's a long, that's a long answer to a short question. In a, in a, in a broad sense, you're saying that, look, it's, uh, it's a one, so, um, um, so you can survive without it. Um, and, and then let's move into um, monogamous relationship, right? Because your book is all about that. And so... Is is then that still stands as a want or a need over in the, in the in the context of a relationship? Okay, so this is really important. One of the things that I talk about early on in my book is that your sexual mind, your sexual self, is really a small child. It's never more than two years old. It just wants what it wants. It's not civilized, and it doesn't know about uh, being mature. It gets easily frustrated. Um, it's just very immediate gratification oriented. Um, it doesn't know very much. It just knows what it wants. 
that doesn't change when you get married or when you get into a permanent relationship. Your sexual mind still wants what it wants. It wants everybody. It wants everything. Um, and uh, so people obviously do experience lust and yearning and wanting for lots of people outside the relationship. The crucial way to do it, if you want to be monogamous, is you're being a good parent to your sexual child. So you're saying, it's okay. I understand. I understand. You want and you want that and you want that. Yeah, actually can't have that. Um, we don't do that. And uh, sexual child goes, yeah, but I want it. And he goes, that's all right. It's all right. We don't do that. Here, hey, come over here. We'll do this. Um, and uh, so there's an old saying, it doesn't matter where a man gets his appetite as long as he comes home for dinner. So you can say, yeah, you can want that. But we're just going to uh, have experiences with one person because you wouldn't want her to cheat on you, would you? And he goes, no, no, I wouldn't want Yeah, so don't, don't do it to her either. But you got to understand that the, the wish to, to cheat and the wish to be the, the ability to be turned on by everybody else, that's a normal that's a normal thing. Um, but the part of your mind that does it is a small child and you just don't want the small child running the show. Because here's the problem. If you let a child run in the show, it doesn't go very well. It's like you let a child eat too much ice cream and it's just sick. Um, or if you keep trying to if you keep trying to buy the child all sorts of new things and new toys to play with. Eventually, all those toys get just junked in the corner and the child says, I am bored. So you need to, as a, as a parent to your sexual child, I'm using an analogy here, you just imply kind of a wholesome set of discipline there. Um, and it can have anything it wants within a certain realm, a certain range, but that's the limit. And that's the way it is. Now, that, that, kind of, that may sound a little bit uh, uh, conservative. But uh, I think for most people, that's kind of where they live. You know, you hear a lot these days about non-monogamy and open relationships and so forth. And they're fine for some people. But I think for a majority of people, eh, it doesn't work out very well. Again, because the sexual mind is a very small child. Well, say okay to, to, you know, that kind of relationship environment. Then, you know, then you don't even need that in the first place, right? But I mean, if you want a monogamous and trustworthy relationship, then you definitely need to find some control, um, you know, limits to, to this sexual child. Good limits. Good, good limits. Good limits for your sexual child. Because good limits make for a happy child. You don't give a child limits, you get a very unhappy child. Yeah. Are you a parent? Are you a parent yet? No, no not yet. Not, I... yeah, you'll, you'll see. You'll see. You'll, you'll see if you decide to do that. It, good limits make for a happy child. Yeah. And I think the last question I think if we talk, want to talk about is sort of this arc of a marriage, right? And then let's try to like sprinkle in sexual desires. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So this is very important. You and I talked a little bit about this earlier. Um, it's important to know that all relationships go through three stages. Um, and you got to expect this. The first stage is the stage of enchantment and idealization. And you're so happy that you found somebody you actually get along with and they like you too. And you feel such a sense of, you feel so lucky and you're having sex all the time because it feels good. And also because you need the reassurance and that's all really nice. But at that point you kind of have these ideal of each other. And then the second part of every relationship is when you get disappointed. We talked a little bit this about in terms of a man experiencing a woman getting disappointed in him. Man also gets disappointed in the woman. Or if it's a same-sex couple, get, you're disappointed in your same-sex partner. Um, that's normal. That's okay. 
And eventually you realize that your needs are really very different from each other. You may speak different love languages, as you mentioned, and uh, you may not satisfy all of each other's needs. That's a very, very stressful thing when you realize that. Most couples, I like to say, ultimately realize within months or years that they are fundamentally incompatible. That's normal. That's okay. Because your job is not to take care of each other's needs. At that point, you have a problem. Let's say one of you needs one thing, the other needs another thing. How do you work that out? Sometimes you just break up because you figure your needs are too different. That's okay. Sometimes you try and force the other person to do it your way. That's not good. That doesn't make for a good relationship. Sometimes you could just submit to the other person and say, well, you know, it's not that important to me. I'll just let them. That's not good either because you haven't expressed your full self in the relationship. The way to do it is to sit down together and say, hmm, this is a real dilemma. I don't know how we're going to do this. Hmm. And you just kind of like any other creative problem, you just kind of sit with it until you figure out something. And chances are, if you want A and they want B, you're not going to get A or B, you're going to get C. And C is what you have to figure out as a couple. How are you going to get C? But you don't know what C is yet. But once you find C, that's when you really become a couple. Then you get to stage three, which is the stage of creative mastery, which is we've suffered together as a couple. And we've figured it, we've figured it out. And now we did that, we can do anything. That's when you get your confidence. That's when you really become a couple. I think that's all the questions I have time for. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I really yeah, enjoyed it. Nice talking to you, Brian, and uh, I uh, uh, hope we get to talk again, and I really appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, for sure. And for those of uh, you who want to find a book, it's uh, all linked in the show notes, and I highly recommend um, uh, everyone of you who are listening to go grab yourself the book because there's so much more in it. Uh, and I mean, I have like 20 more questions, it's, but you know. It's, like, it's good. Love, and, love, worth make, love worth making. It's love making, like sex, with the word worth stuck in the middle. So it's love worth making. It's the only book I ever wrote, so it's easy, hard, easy, easy to find. All right. Good night. You're in Singapore. Good morning. Okay. Talk to you soon. Take care. What's up, people? It's over. As usual, all show notes, links, books can be found on the website, brianvictor.com, Brian with a Y. And if you have any misfits or topics, kind of uh, weird topics you like to hear from, feel free to drop me an email. Um, again, I know this uh, crazy times indeed. I hope you guys are well and having a peace of mind. Uh, again, thank you for giving me your time to listen to this episode. I hope you guys have a fantastic week ahead.